welcome back to another episode of the Type Beam. The voice you hear right now is Shannon, and let me tell you, she is very excited to talk about this episode. It is December 23rd, and episode 32 of the Type Beam, and tonight we'll be talking about episode 4 of The Expanse. But before we do so, we have to introduce our hosts. So first of all, there's me, and I'll have to, you know, I need no introduction. Uh, but I am joined, as always, by my co-hosts, starting with Andrea. How are you, Andrea? I am doing fantastic. Christmas is almost here. Santa Claus is going to bring me a bunch of gifts. I am pretty excited. Two more sleeps till Christmas as of recording, which is hilarious because this is going to come out in like two weeks. And everyone's going to be like, oh, it's already January. We're just going to be like, well, Christmas. Yep. Christmas. And we are also joined by our other co-host, Fred. Fred, how are you? I am doing pretty good. I am just forewarned. I am high as a kite on cold medicine, getting over uh, coming to the holiday sickness here. That is the best way to be. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Oh, so, I know. It happened because I went to go see um, Star Wars on Thursday night. We went to the 7 o'clock show. We got home at 10. And then we recorded a two-hour podcast breakdown, first initial reactions. And then I got maybe five hours sleep. And then we did um, a full day of work on Friday. And then friends came over. And then we went to an 11 o'clock p.m. showing of uh, Star Wars again, home at like 3 a.m. And I was just too worn out and got sick. Yeah, you got to take better care of yourself, man. But I had to double down. I get that, but, like, you're talking to someone who ain't even seen it yet. What? I ain't even I ain't even seen a Star Wars. What's a Star Wars? I'm done. So. <laughs> Bust, here, Buster, go, take this. Go see a Star Wars. I will say, we went to a party, and my brother, um... Had like two dollars. He was given two dollars to go tip a bartender, and he was like, "Wow, what am I gonna do with two dollars?" And he looked right at me, and he goes, "Here, Shannon, go see a Star War." And I was, I was so pleased that I got the reference, and he didn't know that I got it. So I came back with, "These are my awards from the army, mother." And so we were, just, <laughs> he, and he was trying so hard not to laugh. Um, but now, yeah, we've talked about Star Wars and Arrested Development in the first. Three minutes of our expanse podcast <laughs> are the worst. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's sometimes it is what it is. Um, but you know, the expanse has been out for a week, season four. It's been out for a week. We've all been dying. Fred had a very important question for us. How many times have you seen episode four? Too many. Like too many, like two too many. Or like a lot. Well, so full, like all the way through three times, maybe. No, maybe it was only twice. Um, so when we got the screeners, it was my favorite episode. So I kind of like kept rewatching bits and pieces of it. But I've also like I've probably rewatched the whole episode at least two or three times. And just for clarity's sake, we only got the first six episodes for the That's screeners. Right. We didn't get yeah. to see the last four, so we got to watch the first six um, ahead of time. 
Yeah, my, yes. it's not my favorite episode, but it was my favorite episode for a, a good chunk of time. Well, you didn't know the other four episodes existed yet. Or what well, they I knew they existed. Yeah, I but... just didn't know what they were about. Right. Yeah, I was, and I, you know, I'm, I'm glad I was surprised by it like everyone else because, man, some of them episodes are so good. Yeah, that's me. So Andrew and I were able to see it twice. We saw it through the um, the screener run, and then we saw it again um, tonight before uh, recording here. Just now. No. Yeah, just before, which is fantastic because then we have a clear understanding, a reminder of everything that happened. I really yeah. like this one. I thought it was really suspense, suspenseful. Um, there was nothing that was like super impactful, but again, they were just getting everything ready for the remainder of the season, um, moving the chess pieces into place, uh, really suspense driven. Yeah, I agree. There wasn't a lot of action. Yeah. There was some, some, um, shooting and stuff going on, but the primary thing is that the repercussions of everything that happens in this episode will transcend in the next ones. Yeah. There were like big moves from certain characters, but also like really important emotional beats for certain characters. Right. Yeah. I liked it. Um, so we're going to be talking about episode four, which is called uh, Retrograde. Um, it was written by Matthew Res- Res- Oh, my God. I literally... I Rasmussen. Rasmussen, Rasmussen, Rasputin. Rasputin. Uh, lover to the Russian queen. Um, so, and then it was directed by David Petrarca, who we talked about in the last episode, who I, I really dig as a director after his... After episodes three and four. Um, and the title, Retrograde, um, we, I looked it up. Uh, direct dictionary definition is directed or moving backwards. And the scientific definition is uh, it, it talks about an actual like thing, which is apparent retrograde motion. And that is the apparent motion of a planet in a direction opposite to that of other bodies within its system as observed from a particular vantage point. So before I make my jokes, because I do have one, um, I want to ask you guys what you think of the title in relation to the episode. So I, I find very interesting the definition because it, and then I'll repeat it, it's um, apparent retrograde motion is the apparent motion of a planet in a direction opposite to that of other bodies. So there is direct conflict between two bodies as observed from a particular vantage point. So in this episode, you do see a lot of characters doing things because of different particular points of view. And depending which point of view you want to take a look at the situation that is being posed to them, you need to like clearly understand the repercussions for that specific person to make the decisions that they're making. Um, we see it with Drummer. Uh, we see it with Marco. Um, we see it with Naomi and Lucia. So it's, and we even see it with Bobby. So it's very interesting, um, that it's not just a scientific phenomenon. You can actually see it in the underlying tones of the episode and what every character is going through. And that's one of the things that we've always talked about, how we enjoy the expanse, because not everybody is like, even the bad guys, 
you can sympathize and understand where they're coming from, which is really interesting. And not just that, it also seems like they're de-evolving from a civilization point of view. Um, on Earth and Mars, they're very um, driven by law, and um, Mars being more of a police state or a military state, and the belt being a little bit more free, but on this planet, it's gone back to the Wild West. It is just one guy is in charge and he's the sheriff and it doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. It's up to him and he's going to kill you if you're wrong. He's not going to put you through court. So it's like the whole civilization itself is moving backwards from that vantage point. Yeah. There's also, um, I see, I'm really excited because all I had for this was a couple of jokes and while you guys were talking, I actually came up with like a well-formed thought, Oh, um, which is incredible. It never happens. Say it before um, you lose it. <laughs> right. So I also um, kind of see it as the perspective as like, for example, because it's the best example, Mars. Mars is in retrograde um, because it's moving from like our most advanced society where everyone has a job and everyone has a purpose and everyone's working for this common goal to now we have lines of unemployed people. Um, and it's changing because the landscape of our system is changing with the opening of the rings and, and um, being able to go somewhere that already has an atmosphere that you or a magnetosphere that you can like uh, grow things in and, and have gardens in and things like that. You also have uh, the belt. Like the belt is moving in an opposite direction from where it came from, where it was a little, little bit more of the Wild West than than what we would consider the other the other um, societies like Mars and Earth, where like it was all about you know sticking it to the the inners and sticking it to the boot that's on their neck, and now it's well we have to work with them to maintain the peace. We have to right. you know. We have to keep the treaty. We have to do what we must to, to you know, protect our people and way of life and et cetera, while people are trying to keep the belt moving in the same direction. It's always moved like Marco, for instance. Um, so there's like a lot of really cool instances of retrograde in the episode. We all kind of hit different ones, which is pretty sick. Yeah. Like, I'm proud of us, guys. Yeti. We're all so smart, guys. Um, At least we sound smart. Yeah, we sound smart, which is way Especially more important after than editing. being smart. I know. <laughs> Some <laughs> crafty editing. Um, and, you know, I I do have a couple of jokes, obviously. We we know retrograde from, like, Mercury's in retrograde when people are just acting up. You know, it was like, well, like the basic, like the ITCH kind of thing. Like, oh my God, it's Mercury retrograde. Mercury's in retrograde and my whole life is falling apart because Mercury (laughs) is in retrograde. Um, So like, you know, last week we we spent all this time trying to come up with cool episode titles. So like part of me wants to call this one Illis is in retrograde. Um, but now after our discussions, I kind of want to be like, everyone's in retrograde. Everybody's in retrograde. Everyone's in retrograde. But my other joke, which I think is like even better, is um, d- uh, retrograde does have a rare noun form, right? And that uh, definition is a degenerate person. And this episode is full of them. You've got Marco, who is like the worst. And you've got Marty. And you've got Esai. So like Murdy. Murphy. Morty. 
Um, whatever his name is, he's a degenerate. Um, so like, I really should have when I when I said Marco was the worst, I should have done it exactly like they did in Parks Rec, which is the worst. Um, so anyway, he's the worst. Uh, so I thought that was pretty funny too. I thought it'd be good to like joke about that. Um, awesome. But all jokes aside, let's talk about episode four. We're gonna start with Earth. And a quick summary of Earth is like nothing happens. I'm kidding. Um, so legit, nothing happens. We get like one <laughs> actual scene on Earth, and the rest of the Earth plotline is carried out on Mars. So this will be super brief. Um, in one of the best scenes in the episode, Avasarala calls Holden and gives him the epic rant of the century. And I wrote it down because this is one of the only things I'm going to read exactly from my notes. Um, James, my dear boy, I sent you to that planet to be my eyes and ears, and now large ruins that were supposed to be inert are shooting out lightning, and there is nothing but radio silence from you. So please, find a way to carve a few moments out of your busy schedule. Pick up a goddamn comm and tell me precisely what the fork is going on down there. Incredible. Art. Absolute art. Um... I got a huge kick out of that, and I'm really glad that was the only scene we got filmed on Earth. Um, but her rant is cut off because she has to film an interview, and we find out later in the episode that that interview uh, is in regards to the um, Nancy Gao lottery scandal that was revealed at the end of the last episode. I wonder who leaked it. <laughs> I mean, they straight up told us, Andrea, please. I don't think so. Like, somebody is being very sneaky here. Are you being sarcastic? Or am I uh, just... Yeah, totally. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making sure I'm not just dumb. Um, so, there wasn't, there isn't much to talk about Earth, but I'd still like to get your thoughts. Um, because it's... It's still a really good scene, and the plotline is kind of, and the the what we do get from Earth is kind of important to Avasarala's plotline. So I kind of want to see if you guys had any thoughts about that. I think the only thought that I really have is that it's showing that Avasarala is becoming a little unhinged with the political um, competition that's happening to rerun for her position. Um, she feels that she's not going to win. Um, it's already a tight race, and she's already losing on many fronts. And she's just getting frustrated and you can see it and you can hear it in her, her rant. Mm -hmm. So even though she doesn't say a lot and, or a lot doesn't happen on earth in this episode, you get this distinct impression that um, she is fighting for her position and it doesn't look like she's going to win. Andrea, any thoughts? Um, not for Earth. I there wasn't too too much. I mean, yes, that moment was really funny, and it's just we're just waiting to see what is the the, the outcome of everybody knowing that there was kind of like a cheat during mm -hmm. the system. Yeah, that's Earth. That's it. Wow, that's it, guys. Uh, we did it. Uh, thanks that for listening so to the tight beam. Well, what about uh, we hope Mars? you enjoyed this episode. <laughs> yeah, okay, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Obviously, we're, you know, I just want to make fun of the fact that we got literally one scene on Earth. Um, so then we hop over to Mars. So the Mars plotline, uh, also not a ton of action, but we get a few good 
uh, Bobby scenes. So Bobby reports herself, the, the theft and her part in it to her boss on the docks. And her boss on the docks is like, hey, can you do that again? And like, can I be a part of it? So she just straight up quits. Um, unable to find a job again uh, through the VA, which is supposed to be able to help her get a job. She starts to become frustrated with Mars, uh, which is the first time we ever see her actually like frustrated with Mars. Um, usually she, she, if, you, if she shows it, she's still like, well, I'm dedicated to Mars. So um, at the end of the episode, uh, after unleashing her full fury on David, uh, she's arrested because her former boss reported her, uh, probably in retaliation. And at the end of the episode in her arc, she accepts Isai's offer to work with him, quote unquote, full time. I, I found it very, um, very interesting how he's the last resort for her. Mm. That Mark isn't helping her, so she's going to turn to kind of like a quote-unquote life of crime to mm. be able to do something. Um, I, I find it very interesting, and it's really... Um, she she seems very unhinged. She doesn't seem like the composed marine that we know from the last three seasons. She's mm -hmm. drinking a lot more. She's strong. So we see her slip in a lot of ways from the Bobby that we know. I think kind of dovetail onto that. I think Bobby's starting to realize that the propaganda of what Mars says it is really isn't what it is. Um, so Mars is starting to fall apart. It's becoming unhinged from the rot from the inside out. Um, her boss basically betraying her um, or betraying Mars is her like last step, her realization that Mars is starting to become corrupt and that its time is already over. It just needs to run its course. So I think that's what Bobby is really struggling with. Um, so she's just going to run with it, I guess, to make some money or do some quick cash just to better her family in the very short term. Um, this doesn't feel like a long-term goal for her. I think Bobby is an honorable person. She's just sucked into this in the moment, and I don't think it's going to last for the rest of the season. Hmm. Um, there were some really important quotes, I think, that kind of gave me a lot of insight uh, into what she was thinking and, and some stuff that kind of might dig up some more discussion here, too. Um, so she ends up drinking with hot fellow um, veteran, and uh, she asks him, does this place feel different to you, this planet, since the last time you left? And she says, uh, she continues on with my whole life, I don't think I ever met one single person who was unemployed. And now there are lines of them. And um, I thought that, like, you know, kind of goes along with my thought about retrograde as well, is, like, she, her her whole life, and Bobby's at least in her late 20s at this point, in, the like, her life, not necessarily Frankie's age. Um, and she's never, ever seen unemployment on Mars, ever. Because everyone was employed for the betterment of Mars or they were enlisted in the Navy. And now that the Navy is pretty much, you know, discharging people en masse and people are losing different jobs because, um, 
Like, why terraform if you can just go to a new planet and et cetera, et cetera. And now all she sees are like unemployment lines. Like that's that's in, like, I mean, obviously we've never known a world like that. And so to us, it's like it seems kind of like, well, Bobby, sometimes it'd be like that. But I can't imagine how like that would like completely rock your world, you know? No, absolutely. Um, Mars is going through a complete revolution of. Like it's completely changing. There's no, there's that that common drive is no longer there. You're getting division of the people. A lot of them want to leave. They want to go to these new planets. What's the point of continuing the terraforming project? And then you'll get the hardliners that still want to continue. Why not have two planets in the solar system? What's wrong with that? Yeah, it's, it's going to take some work, but why not? And and they're not wrong. But the people who want to leave are also not wrong. And the fact that Mars doesn't need a military as big as it once was is no longer like a, a motivation for it either. So it, it's really interesting how it's all all playing out. And it's exactly how it would actually really happen, I think. Mm-hmm. The other thing I thought was interesting, which kind of leans into the decision she made, is that when she's out with hot veteran he says to her you know mars doesn't deserve us and later on in the episode when she gets into her spat with david she says to him everything you have was built on the backs of grunts like me yeah and when you think about that line when he said mars doesn't deserve us when avasarala said you know if they don't see how um how glorious you are they don't deserve you and you get to this point where she's drunk and angry and and she says, like, you know, this this planet is what it is because of people like me. And you almost hear the unsaid, which is, and they have given me nothing in return. Yep. And so and I have I have something to say about what happens literally right after that bit. But like there's so much like anger and hurt and pain in that moment. And like you can really feel it. <laughs> Like, Bobby has been let down by the one thing she could count on, and that's Mars. And so, well, and the thing is, is that when you go there and you're so young, like, it's all about the Mars dream. Mm-hmm. And here is her nephew, and he's just doing something that is illegal and not right. It's, it's not about the pride of being a Martian anymore. It's just Mars has just become another Earth. Mm hmm. With slimy people and corruption and stuff like that, which is sad for her. It's it's just the the destruction of Mars yeah. in her eyes. It's like the... I was just gonna say, it's like all all Martians have put Mars on a pedestal and has mm-hmm. now fallen from grace. And it, the second that it falls, everyone seems to be turning their back on Mars and being becoming corrupt. And she's seen the worst corruption of mars that there was was that the fact that mars sacrificed their own soldiers to for a science project right for the protomolecule project like she's seen the worst mars can do and there's also like you know people have had issues with her making this decision to to join this like dirty cop but you got you got to understand like if mars isn't going to give anything to her she's got to take it because it's the only way she's going to survive. It's the right. only way she's going to find any kind of... She wouldn't know if she would find fulfillment there if she didn't try. Survival of the fittest, and that's basically what it comes down to. Yeah. 
it's kill or be killed. Mm-hmm. She sees this opportunity to maybe make some money to maybe find this purpose that she feels she's lost and she's going to take it because if she doesn't try it, she'll never know. She doesn't want to get stuck waiting in unemployment lines forever. Well, I think really it's coming down to she needs a sense of purpose and being Mm -hmm. or she's going to just drive herself mental. Yeah. And And I I can't count her down for that. No. And I mean, Avasarala gave her that option. Mm Mm-hmm. But for and her, she turned it down. But right now, she hasn't accepted the fact that she needs to leave Mars. Yeah. Um. So, even though she's helping the underside of Mars, she's still supporting Mars in that regard. If she goes to Earth, she's betraying everything she's known. I also think she kind of gets this feeling that like it's a handout, and she doesn't want a handout. Right. Like. I mean, that's that's part of her issue with going to the VA. First of all, they can't find her a job, but she also doesn't really want to be given anything. We One of her first lines in the season was when she goes to visit, when she gets home to her brother's place, and she says, oh, I, I found some apartments. I'm going to be out of here soon enough. Like, she doesn't want to be given anything. Right. She exactly, wants to yeah. earn it like she did earn before. It. And she probably feels like, like earning her rank and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And she probably feels like Avasarala offering her a job is just because she Avasarala knows her and trusts her. It's like it feels like a handout. Um, and if she can't find anything on Mars, well, I can give you something. It's like, no, no, I yeah. want to find something on my own terms. Yeah. The other thing that I kind of had some thoughts about and I've talked about it before, but it really hit me this time. Um, and it hit me the, the, the rewatch where I took notes. So when the cops do a Mariner Valley police action, right? They can just walk in and everybody just drops to their knees. No problem. I've talked about how I feel about this vague, not necessarily unhappy police state. Right. But this feeling that like. Everyone is obedient to the law because it needs to be. And it makes me so uncomfortable. They could just walk in without knocking. Like, no problem. They can just walk right in. Like, even when we saw Miller do police stuff, he only broke into Julie's apartment because, like, Julie was missing. And that was the only way to get in to get clues. But, like, we straight up have the police, like, sending out an alert, and they can literally just walk in, no knocking. Walk in, no problem. And they expect subservience, or not subservience, but obedience, because they just walk in really calm. Just They just stroll right in. It's it's mind-boggling to me. Like, I get it. Like I said in previous episodes, I get it. But still, to see it is a whole other thing. And that's probably something that people around the world have to deal with. They just have to like succumb to that, or they will see the repercussions of it. Mm. That's just bonkers. <laughs> it, it just still weirds me out. Uh, anything else you want to cover for Mars? I think I covered my notes. Well, what do you got next? All right, next. Oh boy, <laughs> who's ready to come back to my TED talk? Oh God. Next up. Is the belt. I knew it. So, Marco and Aros is brought to Drummer and Ashford because in the last episode they put out a, a kind of a, a wanted thing. They put out a bounty on him. So, Drummer and Ashford uh, interrogate Marco and Aros, who is Naomi's ex and the mastermind behind the Sojourner mystery. 
Inaros tells his side of his past with Naomi and also tries to convince Drummer and Ashford to come to his way of thinking. They call an OPA tribunal, and Marco manages to sway two factions to vote to spare his life. And in a surprise vote, Drummer also votes to spare his life to keep peace within the OPA. And that's like the bare bones summary of the belt storyline. I love and hate Marco. Mm. I hate him because because of reasons that I cannot say in this um, episode because it would be spoilery. But I love him because what he says is not wrong. It's a logical way of seeing the world that the Belters have to deal with. If they have the resources, why are we helping the quote-unquote inners get to those planets? Why not take one for ourselves? The planets are not conquered until somebody claims them. Are we just going to like just let them stroll and take the planets and then we're just left in the solar system again? So I, I understand his point of view. I was very taken aback by Drummer's decision. Um, but when she made the decision to keep him alive, the first thing that came to mind is, yes, Naomi's her friend, but she will always put the belters first. Whereas, like, Naomi has kind of, like, been an Earther, Martian, and Belter kind of hosh-mosh of emotions, right? And Drummer has always been, I'm here for the belt. Whatever the belt needs is what I'm going to get them. So I thought that she saved him because she saw some rationale behind it. But then when she's talking to Ashford, she realizes that if she wouldn't have agreed with those two other factions, she would have created a civil war and it would have made things even worse for the Belters. So I really appreciate that she, she's not thinking irrationally and with just emotion. It, it, like a lot of people would have been like, well, that's your best friend. I only your best friend. Why wouldn't you just not space the, the, the jerk that made her suffer? Um, but I, I appreciate her calm and collective nature and how she was able to understand what Marco was trying to do. At the end of the day, Drummer was able to gain support from two very powerful factions of the OPA. Yeah. And if Marco does step out of line, he's going to do it against the Inners. He's not going to do it against the Belt. So it's going to still unify the OPA, um, even though they have to go against Marco if he were to step out of line. Um, she has the support of the rest of the factions now. So without... Um, so if she went the other way, and if Marco stepped out of line, she would not have had their support, and she would have had to do it on her own, and begging for support from the inners. Hmm. So the difference between Naomi and Drummer, that was illustrated very much in season three, is that Naomi puts people first, whereas Drummer puts the belt first. So. Naomi is going to help protect, save anyone, no matter where you're from, because she is just, she's an empathetic person. Uh, she cares very much about people, about making, she doesn't like to hurt anyone, doesn't like violence, um, which, you know, we've gotten part of her story before. She said that uh, she ran with the OPA and people got hurt. 
Uh, but we, we, as of yet, we have not heard her story, her full story. Um, we know that Marco had something to do with it, and and that's it. Um, but she she doesn't care what you know faction you're from. She doesn't want people to get hurt. She doesn't like it. Drummer, on the other hand, puts her people first. What's best for her people and the belt, and neither of them are wrong. But it it kind of leans into you know, why Drummer would make this decision because she's not thinking about Naomi. She's not thinking about who could get hurt. She's thinking about protecting the OPA and protecting the treaty and making sure that the OPA is seen as, um, as a player in this game. And it's a, it's a, like, incredibly valid point to have uh, because you know, obviously belters would get hurt in an OPA civil war, but also she wants to make sure that they keep control of what they have, that they continue to be seen as, like, taken as seriously as Earth and Mars before them. Yeah. That's important to her. So, yeah, obviously it makes so, so much sense that, you know, while she doesn't believe, necessarily believe what Marco's saying, um, that she doesn't buy into what, you know, his doesn't necessarily buy into what his beliefs are. She still thinks that, you know, saving him is best for the belt and the best for keeping the peace uh, for better, or for worse, whatever happens next. In her mind, this is the best decision. Yeah. Um, and it's absolutely fair. But man, did she want to kill him with her eyes when she first sat down with him? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Um. Marco, so Marco tells us a story, and we've heard part of Naomi's story. She told Holden um, a couple of times, you know, I ran with the OPA and people got hurt. Um, I was with a man who was just like you, and he hurt me and other people and took my son away. And now we're getting Marco's, like, we're getting more details from Marco than we've gotten from Naomi so far. But we also know Marco likes to talk. He likes to tell stories. So while he was talking, uh, I just like, you know, there's something about his story. It just doesn't feel right. Um, but he, he tells Drummer that Naomi was full on part of his plan when they, they blew up this ship um, back when they were younger. He was full on into the plan. It was a righteous kill. Um, Bonnie and Clyde. Bonnie and Clyde. They're in it together. Um, because well, first of all, the the first thing he says to Drummer is, "What did she tell you?" And it's like, the, whenever somebody starts a story like that, you gotta be a little suspicious. Yeah. Like, well, what did she tell you? What's her side of the story? And then when Drummer, you know, says something, he's like, "Well, that's not true at all." Well, yeah, because you asked what her side of the story was first. Yeah. But yeah, he's just like she was in on it. Um, and it traumatized her. It haunted her. Uh, I would comfort her when she woke up screaming. I think what made me really angry was when he said specifically, um, some are fighters and some are not, and you can't know which until the fight happens. Like there's many different kinds of ways to fight Marco and killing innocent people on a ship is not one of them. <laughs> but anyway, aside from that, I think he's a lying liar. I think he's, you know, terrible. 
And when Drummer said he talks too much, I was like, yeah, he does. But I, and he's charismatic, and that's the, that's the problem. Yeah. He's very charismatic, and charismatic men, We and, and I'll say this, like, and I don't want to go dive deep into it, Hitler was very charismatic. Trump, very charismatic. They're, they're able to sway people sometimes with words. And Marco is a similar, he falls into that category. He's very charismatic. He knows what to say. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but if I was if I was listening to that sob story about him holding Naomi as she cried at night, I it would tug my heartstrings. Look, so he knows. He knows how to play the people, he, and he knows his audience. But don't forget, he may be charismatic, but he's also a sociopath. Oh, he, yeah. he is playing this game. He knows exactly yeah. what he's doing. He doesn't care who he's going to hurt. No. It's his agenda, and he's going to do it any way he feels fit. And he doesn't care who he's going to hurt on the way there. And he's able to sell that story because he is charismatic, uh, because he could get people behind him. Uh, and people will just do what he asks because of his, his charm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wrote down a lot of his quotes that I thought were really smart and really swaying, especially because some of them kind of hint at his end game a little bit or what feels like his end game. So some of the quotes that really hit me were um, the inners would never give us one of theirs. So like, you know, they were talking about how he would like handing him over to the inners and he says, well, they wouldn't do that. They wouldn't give us one of them. So that was one thing, which is true. Um, when Ashford's alone with Marco, he says, the ghost knife of Callisto, the left hand of Anderson Dawes, now delivery boy Walla, makes me sad. There are people alive in the belt because you took food, medicine, water, and air from the oppressor and gave it to them. All these things that could have made the belt a paradise still can, right there for the taking. And um, they belong to those who can take them. Meaning us? Right. You see, but don't forget that some of the best lies that are sown have some underlying truth to them. Yeah. And that's why they're and so. And that's what works well. And that's mm-hmm. what yeah. he is selling all this on. Yep. Yeah. And I, I love that, though. Like, I, it's so interesting. So, I love psychology and just the ability to manipulate with truths if you underline like what i was saying if you weave truth within it Mm -hmm. sometimes it's so hard to differentiate like the difference between where sugar and sand separate if you mix them all together like you cannot it's so difficult Mm -hmm. um so i appreciate that so props to Ty and Daniel, Jemzese, Corey, and Matthew and David for putting this episode together. It was just so very well done. And this character is so well written. Um, you want to follow him. You want to support him. And, and you really you also want to hate him. <laughs> you want to hate his guts because we're seeing the repercussions of what he's doing. And mm-hmm. as an audience, we know better because how well the story is written. Uh, we know that this is he's up to no good. Um, some other things he said that I wrote down in brief, um, when he talks about the things he did, uh, not long ago, that would have been called a victory. Uh, the rings did not change the inners. The belt has always been rich and our wealth has always been taken from us. And now we are helping them. Um, 
And he talks about how the inners haven't changed. And he promises that he will value the treaty, which I thought was interesting, too, was that uh, a lot of other Belter factions uh, actually follow the treaty and defend the treaty. Um, I thought that was an interesting detail. But I think the most, Im the, like, the last thing I have to say is the most important thing I think Marco said. Um, so at one, when they were talking about taking what was theirs, him and Ashford, Ashford says, we don't have the ships. We don't have the weapons. And Marco seems very smug, and he says, don't be so sure about that. And then eventually he gets to, Mars is no longer the Mars we used to fight. And when Ashford says, what does Mars have to do with it? Marco changes the subject. Yeah. Well, we all know what's happening here is that, and I think it's pretty obvious from the episode three, is the Belters are the ones who are stealing things from Mars. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of things are being stolen from Mars, and it's even bigger than what we're seeing. I, I think that they're stealing ships as well. And I think a lot of their military fleet might even um, defect. I think this this is going to absolutely shatter Mars. Uh, and it's going to be really interesting. I, I don't know if that's the truth for the next um, several episodes or whatever, but I, I really see that this um, this piece that Marco is holding so secretive, and then we've already seen some snippets of, uh, is really going to be the pivotal point for what um, is coming for this season and future ones. Um, I don't know if you guys noticed, but um, there is a character that actually returned in this um, this episode. Um, I'm pretty sure it's Daniel Chadbury or something like that. Um, he was a tattooed be belter um, who escaped Ganymede, and Alex um, is um, bringing him back to. Um, he's bringing him back to um, what was it called? Um, not um, or what is it called? Where Miller used to work. A oh, series. Series. They take them back to series. Um, so he's one of the. Um, people that vote to save Marco. So I thought that was really interesting that now he has a higher rank from like going from like nothing and arrows to being part of a faction and running and making those big decisions. Actually, one thing that I found really interesting, and I'm surprised we haven't seen it yet, is um, where's Fred been? Like, I know Drummer is speaking on his behalf. But uh, I know where Fred is. Well. Oh my god! <laughs> Very punny, Andrea. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> As a, um, in in character, Fred, not me, obviously. <laughs> um, yeah, we we just haven't seen him yet. He was very um, prominent in the earlier seasons, so I'm just surprised we haven't seen his character yet. So hopefully, that will still come later. Yeah, and I mean Ashford does. He said like in in. He's making the decision in the name of Fred Johnson, so I think that's very interesting. And I respect the fact that they're on Medina Station and they're on the the ships that defend the ring gates, and Fred Johnson is on Tycho. Um, so the, I understand that distinction. Um, I was just surprised we haven't seen him yet. Yeah. I am really starting to like Ashford. Just. He, he seems to have a good heart, and like I say that, 
coming from last season where I hated his guts mm-hmm. and I just wanted him dead. So I don't know if like I'm, I'm holding back. Like, I don't know if he's still going to be backstabbing drummer in the back, but he's making sense to me. Mm-hmm. And I like that. So I, I'm going to be very cautious, but I, I enjoy it. Right. Yeah. yeah. He is killing it. All right. Who's ready? Are we done? Is that the belt wrapped up? Hi, Captain! Oh, God, here she goes. All right, what's next? I can't hear you. Hi, hi, Captain! Oh, who lives in the Rossi in space? Holden! Okay, I'm done. Sorry. (laughs) I was trying to see how far she was going to take it. Um, You really took it far. I think we'll have to do a special episode where we write a bunch of, like, parody songs i think that'd be fun i'm the one Um, who's high on drugs and i really want what andrea has (laughs) (laughs) so yeah let's let's, uh let's fly on high through the ring and now we will land on illis new tara oh here he goes so here's our summary of the illis storyline murdy hands out his own brand of justice in the new frontier Naomi goes on the run with Lucia to get her to the safety of the Rocinante while facing the undeniable truth that Illis's gravity is too much for her. Amos ends up in RCE custody while protecting Naomi. Holden and Alex race to get to Naomi before Murphy and his men do. The protomolecule tech continues to baffle the Rocinante crew and RCE scientists. Holden learns of Naomi's body not responding to the gravity drugs. Alice ends up ta- Alice. Alex ends up taking her and Lucia into the safety of orbit around Illis. Holden has a stare down with Morty and kicks the shirt out of him for Naomi and murder, probably in that order. Oh, no, it is 100 percent in defense of Naomi and his crew. Let's be I mean, honest to, here. Yeah, the murder I mean, was like secondary. Yeah, the murder was second. Well, because like he doesn't punch Murdy. Until Murdy was like, oh, well, this had nothing to do with Naomi. And then, and then this was her fault anyway. And then Holden's just like, shut up. And like, punches him in the face. All I have to say is about time he stands up. It's like, damn it. We've been waiting for four seasons for this. Oh, that punch was so, <laughs> so satisfying. I know. I, like, if I could, I would like stand up and give him a standing ovation. It was great. Like, I, I know that, like, this is the end of the storyline, but I do want to talk about it right now because now I want to talk about it. Oh, yeah, but please for, do. From everything about it, from the way it was shot with that stare down and that huge wide shot of them standing apart from each other. Yeah. And then doing that, like, that, like, um, that, you know, noon stare down. The only like, thing it was missing was a tumbleweed. That's true. <laughs> there was some dust. <laughs> There was some dust, but I I also, okay, this is the part that gets me every single time. So after Holden punches him, he literally kicks the gun out of his hand. I think this is the funniest thing. First of all, the whole thing is funny. From punching... From punching Murtry to kicking the gun out of his hand to shoving him to the ground like they're on a playground somewhere. Every single bit of that was incredible and hilarious. But the kicking the gun out of the hand was just chef's kiss so good it was so good and i just love what holden says to him too he's just like this ends now you're not in charge here anymore i'm just like yes holden absolutely my brother that is what i'm looking for so one of the things i think was alex who said it when they were um carrying everybody back to the rossi on on the power cart um 
is that Murtry would never attack the envoy of the undersecretary. Mm. So they have this protective shield kind of around them, and they would have to step way out of line for that event to ever happen. So I think Holden's finally realizing that he has um, some clout, he has some grounds to stand on, and he he finally um, acts on it. He's starting to grow a pair, and and that's something. And, and he has in the the all the seasons, but in this one, you see more of a physical pair. Like he is punching a guy in the face, and this guy is unhinged. Like he could have just gotten his gun and shot him back, like, but he's standing up for what is right, so, in a, not just a verbal way. I've never been in the armed services. But a captain is to be feared. He's the most powerful person on a ship. When you have Holden, who is the captain of the Rossi, he's always indecisive. He always has to think about things. And he never um, stands up for his crew physically. Like, he always has to think about it. So now he's finally starting to come into his own as captain and starting to act his role. And I love it. Yep. So it's just I showing just, the development over the last four seasons. I'm really enjoying his character. Um, well, everyone's characters. I think they're all developing in different ways, and I really enjoy it. Yeah, I really get a kick out of Holden. Just like all of his impulsivity up to this point has been doing dumb stuff. And now it's like, well, he tried to kill Naomi. He's got to die. Like, I, I just, I mean, one of the bits that I love the most was so in the previous scene when he's with Naomi and he's he's comforting her the second the door shuts behind him he is in anger mode and like Holden's really scary when he's angry and like first of all his satisfied smile when he punched the shirt out of Murtry was <laughs> so that's how I felt too um but yeah like you know he he was told not to interfere with what was going on, and he wasn't going to. He was doing what he was asked to do. But the second Murtry nearly kills Naomi, he's done. He's like, all right, I wasn't going to interfere with your business, but now you've invited me in, and you've laid out the welcome mat. So here I am walking right into your business because now you're in mine. Yeah. Now, if we want to play devil's advocate a little bit, um, if we step into Murtry's point of view, and so Murtry is there, he's had a couple dozen of his people killed already, or maimed. Mm. Uh, a lot of them went back up into orbit. Um, so he's trying to continue his contract to maintain their sovereignty over the system. Um, and you have this group of people coming in, you have Holden and his crew coming in. And they're assisting the other people. So I can see why Murtry is doing what he's doing. He might be a little heavy-handed, obviously. Um, he shouldn't be shooting people and whatever. But I, I can understand why Murtry wants to put a stop to it. Well, to, go, to piggyback off that, they're only helping the Belters because the RCE isn't. The RC is actively exactly. refusing to help. Right. He straight up says, like, don't give them any help. And so the Rossi crew, of course, is going to be like, okay, where's your humanity? They're people who need help. Exactly. We're going to help them. Like, it's not necessarily supporting their settlement. It's making sure they have what they need to survive. 
Um, yeah. Well, it's not just racism. I, I I hate to bring it to that. Yes, that's inners versus belters, but it's um, us versus them. Um, even if you go back to the the Navy reference I made earlier, if um, a U.S. warship's on the high seas and they're they come across pirates and they shoot at the pirates, and if they damage their boat, they have to take them ashore or fix their um, vessel so they can get back. It, it's mm. you, you can't leave people stranded. Um, and and not help them. So even though right. they may be at war against piracy, um, you have to have your basic human dignity. Yeah, where's your humanity? Exactly. Yeah. And again, it also goes back to something we talked about before, which is like, Murtry keeps trying to punish all the Belters for the actions of an unknown few. And when this, like, act of God, as it were, you know, damages the settlement, Rather than help them, which would be the human thing to do, rather than, you know, helping them, which would show that he genuinely knows that it wasn't all their fault, he continues to punish them for the actions of a few. Okay, let's let's be clear with that. It's Holden's fault. I mean, yeah, it is Holden's fault, but they don't know it yet. They don't know it's Holden's fault yet, so it's technically an act of God. Um, so then, if it's Holden's fault, it's all of Earth's fault. I'm just kidding. Well, we'll get into that when we get to that bit. That's a whole other episode. Um, but, yeah, it's like, you know, Murtry straight up orders his men not to help. And it it had nothing to do with what happened. You know, these people need power to survive on this planet. And, and yeah, I, I can't agree with him on that. Plus, he, again, he's taking... He's taking justice into his own hands, which is not his job description. That's so, not what he's sent there to do. I mean, it, it, so by, you know, he acted first, so I don't. Eh, eh. So RCE's job is to be the people that are holding the ground. If the Belters can't support themselves on the ground, they have to leave and go back to their ship. And if they leave the settlement, they're giving up their claim or their rights to the land. Mm -hmm. um, so I can understand why Murtry doesn't want to help them, because if he helps them, it gives them more time to stay. And mm -hmm. he doesn't want them to stay. He wants them to leave. And he'll do everything in his power to make them leave. He'll even give them a shuttle. Well, he'll even kill them. Well, that's the other option. <laughs> if they're uh... dead, they can't make any claim to it either. I think another important thing we have to remember is um, Murtry going after Naomi is also technically Holden's fault, which I realized when I was watching. So when Naomi's escaping with Lucia, you know, Holden's given the impression that Murtry has hurt Naomi. And so he calls oh, no, Murtry yeah. and says, he hey, if you hurt Naomi. Mouth. Yeah, he basically tattled on Naomi. <laughs> Which is like, Holden, this is why you can't ever be trusted ever in your life with any information. This is why no one likes to tell you things. Because you tattle on them. Um, yeah, when he's like, you know, if you hurt Naomi, you're a dead man. And he's just like, what does this have to do with? Oh, I see. So this goes back to like season one where Holden thinks it's absolutely okay for everyone to know everything. <laughs> And it just stirs a lot of stuff. <laughs> oh, but when Murtry opens the call, he's like, what the beep are you doing? I love that moment. Oh, I it love was so that. powerful. 
Yeah, Holden, the, first of all, Stephen's delivery of that line is incredible. It gets me every time. What the fork do you think you're doing? Like, he's like, like the angry dad, like the angry teacher. He's like, excuse me. What do you think you're doing? <laughs> like, it's just, I really love his delivery of that line. And I also love, there was another line he had in that scene when he, um, hold on. I always do this every episode. Oh, this, um, this line, because you don't get to kill whoever you want. You are not the law here. And, and Mercury comes back with, oh, and you think you are? Yeah. And, but I think, I think what really got under Holden's, like, really got stuck in his craw was when Mercury said to him, you know, if you really care about her, tell her to surrender. And it's like, well, yeah, Holden cares about her, but he's never going to tell her to surrender. First of all, you can't tell Naomi what to do at all. No. Se- secondly, he's never going to do that. And, and to question how much Holden cares about her is going to piss Holden off. <laughs> Quite a bit, because people have done that before. And that doesn't seem to end well, ever. Um, So that, you know, that whole bit is a lot. And there's a lot going on within that storyline. But there's also, then we have Amos. who uh, Amos is the first person Naomi calls. And he's the distraction. And he, oh, Amos. Amos gets caught and has one of the... Well, it's he has really great lines, but I don't know. Seeing him like shirtless, handcuffed to a bed was wild. Um, but I don't think that was his first time. No, I mean it yeah, definitely is not so his first time. Maybe but not in this situation, but there's just a lot of really interesting conversation during this scene um, that kind of gives us a little bit of insight into why Wei is so loyal. Um, yeah. So, well, I also loved, you know, Amos. You know, if your boss is going after my people, you do not want to be between us. Yep. Like, because Amos's underlying thing is always like, "Don't hurt my people," or I will like straight up kill you. I forget um, exactly how the line goes, but Amos basically says, um, "I I will only die if I've killed everyone else." Yeah. So that's a that's a reference from the books. I, I screwed up the line a little bit, but that's the gist of what it says. He's the last man standing. He will always be the last man standing. Mm-hmm. So if he dies, that means all the bad guys are dead. Yep. Yeah. I I actually I was looking at, on Twitter. Sometimes Daniel um, has some really interesting quotes. I'm using one of the authors of books, and he said. Because um, somebody was talking about Way and his relationship with Amos, and he says Amos doesn't sleep with people he actually cares about, and I thought that was very interesting because if he were to choose between Way or the Rossi crew, he will gun her down, and he yeah. has said that before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that she is the same way; like she owes Murtry, he's done her favors, and she feels the same way, but I think you're starting to see a sway in loyalty um, because she does have more feelings for Amos than he does for her. Yep. And she specifically says, um, loyalty to your crew, I get it, but Murtry pulled me out of the mud once and I'll never be done paying him back for that. And I'd be interested to know if we ever find out what that thing is. Um, but yeah, they're both incredibly loyal to the people who lead them. And so 
eventually they're going to come to some sort of, uh, you know, they're going to be at a point where they're between a rock and a hard place with each other. Yeah. Someone's going to have to make a decision. But, yep. Um, we also have a very important development in, well, first of all, so, so Lucia also admits that, you know, she had something to do with the, um, the explosion, which we kind of had an idea of, but like now she's straight up saying she had something to do with it. And what I thought was really interesting was Naomi seems to like recognize something in her story that makes her want to help her more than she yeah. already is. Um, like Naomi's already risking her life here to get Lucia back to the ship in more ways than one. And something about, you know, her getting roped into something that got people killed seems to strike something with Naomi. Like you see, there's these looks that she gives uh, Lucia that, that kind of continue to drive her more. She continues to even drive, like she gives Holden and Alex a plan and then she goes against that plan when Murtry shoots Lucia. Like she's, she is determined to get Lucia onto the Rossi. Um, so there's, there's something going on here that I, I can't wait to see more of because I really love everything about Naomi's arc so far. And something here, there's something here I cannot wait to see more of. I think one of the things that we're seeing here is like true fear from Naomi. Um, mm-hmm. She has her mission, which is to get back to the Rosie and get into atmosphere or uh, out of atmosphere. Um, she starts moving forward on this. Her body can't physically help her. She can't do it. Um, and then Lucia gets shot and she's basically out of options. Um, she's able to figure out a Hail Mary at the end um, to get one of the PDCs to go on like a, a slow fire um, to kind of give them some cover. Um, which seems to happen exactly at the right time when um the, the cavalry arrives when Holden and um, Alex show up and they were able to get her and um, Lucia onto the ship um, and then strapped into the, the med bays to get them uh, the care that they need. Yeah. Uh, and you know, what's interesting is that what Naomi's going through, she has a bond with Lucia if she didn't find a reason to believe in her and just like to save her, she wouldn't as much as she did. And I think it also goes to the fact that Naomi sees herself and Lucia. Lucia thought that she was doing the right thing. She made a mistake. A lot of people died. Right. And uh, last episode, um, just to dovetail into that, um, Naomi even told her exactly how, like she was. Um, and so this is probably Naomi 10 years ago or five years ago or something like that. So no, that, that that's actually a really good point. <laughs> so kind of like continuing, you know, we talked about Naomi having to get off planet. And so the other big development we had was Holden finds out that Naomi can't stay on Illus. Um, 
He finds out because he genuinely thinks Naomi is hurt because all he knows is that she's out of breath. Um, she sounds really weak and he knows something is wrong and he thinks Murtry hurt her. And he's just so worried about her that Alex finally, and I said this in the last episode, I knew Alex was going to be pushed to a point where he had to tell him. And it's, it's Holden's pure fear and concern for Naomi that pushes Alex to tell him. And so he knows that Naomi can't stay on the planet and he looks really troubled by it. And we see him carrying Naomi. You know, we see him putting her in the cart. We see him literally carrying her to the med bay. Um, First of all, I love that, like, when the cart pulls up, he literally is out of the cart before it stops moving. He is running over there before the cart has even stopped. And, you know, helping him, helping her get there. But I think one of my favorite scenes this season is their scene on the, in the med bay. Um, where, you know, they're talking and he apologizes to her for you know, probably multiple things for the fact that she can't stay, for the fact that um, he can't go with her, what have you. Um, but she's just so upset because, A, now he knows. And she never wanted him to know because she knew it would hurt him. And she knew it would, quote-unquote, distract him. Um, but there's also the fact that, you know, she now has to face the reality that there is a very good chance she cannot ever live on a planet with him like she wanted to have the yeah. choice to do. And that absolutely breaks her heart, and you can tell it breaks Holden's to, to see her that upset about it. But their exchange, I had to pause it because my emotions were so out of control with, with him saying, you know, when she says, I just want to have the choice... And he says, you know, I don't care where we are as long as, you know, just that we're together. And then yeah. she says to him, but you're leaving. And he says, but I'm coming back. Like, I, yeah, I ship them, but like, my God, first of all, the chemistry in that scene was incredible. And you really, for a second, I really thought he was in love with her. And secondly... Oh my god! It was just so much. All I have to say is, there's no way he would have ripped that shirt. I've tried. Oh yeah, there was also that. He also like ripped her her coat open. He was struggling too. I thought Holden was gonna like throw something. He could not get that ripped open. Um, yeah, he was like also that that shot of him when he's watching her when he hooks her up to the auto dock. Like he looks so scared. I don't. I am so sick of people calling Steven a bad actor because like that scene alone, you, he looked terrified mm -hmm. and like that whole scene with him and Naomi after was just so good. Like he looks so comforting and reassuring. And the second the door shuts, he's like, time to go kick some ass. Let's go. I'm angry. I'm going to go punch a man. Like it, it just honestly, that scene is probably one of my favorite of the seasons for like, like sh the acting, the emotion, the, like everything about it was just so good. So there's that moment where he punches him in the face <laughs> and he has the relief of actually physically striking him. Yeah. And then he looks over his shoulder and he sees Naomi going um, out of the atmosphere and he gets that second relief uh, mm. from his family being protected, his girlfriend, Naomi being 
uh, removed from uh, like a dangerous situation. So th there's more than just the the physical strike. It's the whole the whole aspect of um, his family being protected and being able to beat the piss out of his his buddy there. Yeah, I mean, and he's also he's taking out his aggression about the fact that you know he's upset that he didn't know he's upset that she can't stay he's upset that she's upset um he's upset now that they have to be separated when the whole thing was that they were going to do this together and now he's down here and alex even shows concern for leaving him down there like yeah. he didn't want his family separated because they've been separated so many times and every time they're separated things go wrong naomi said in season one we're better when we stick together and that line is tested every single season and every single season. It's true. Right. And, and they always get separated every single season. Every single season. <laughs> at least once a season, Holden and Naomi at least get separated. Um, but Holden doesn't want his family separate because he, I'm, he's afraid. There's so much unknown here, right? They're on a new planet. There's new danger. They don't know what's going to happen. Naomi is seriously ill. And having to leave, and now he's separate from her. He's separate from Alex. He's separate from the ship. He has to go save Amos. Like, you know, he's angry. And we, we've seen Holden angry, but we've never seen him, like, take it out on someone when he's not also, like, triggered and scared like he was in season two, where he was angry because he was scared. It was a defense mechanism. But now that man is, that man is just angry. And he's hurt, but he is pissed. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, you know, that's why, to go back to where we started, we're so glad we finally get to see him, like, punch a guy. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and that really gets me ramped up for the rest of this, this season. Um, we're four episodes in. We have six episodes to go. And it this might not have been a very intense, action-packed episode, but moments like that really get you fired up for what's coming. Mm -hmm. So we hit all the, the big points. Um, there's some minor things that are probably important later, but who cares? Hold and punch Murtry in the face. Um, <laughs> That's all that matters. But before, like, I can run down some minor stuff, but is there anything anyone wanted to spend any time on before I run through that minor stuff? No, I'm good. I'm good as well. All right. Um, I think my fa one of my favorite scenes of the episode is Murtry tries to use his scopes from the ship, but we find out that the ship has to go dark. The yep. sensors have to go dark every time they go behind the planet. Hilarious. And um, Baez, like, flipping the camera off was just chef's kiss. Um, <laughs> also, by the end of the episode, Faez realizes something weird is happening on the planet. Um, in season three, we had the alien station reacted to bombs and things like that. So it made me wonder, when we start... See, we know more of those ruins are moving. Holden and, and Alex didn't stop all of them. They just stopped one of them. Um, which reminds me, one of my favorite interactions in the episode was, uh, well, I, well, let's call it inert. And Holden's just like, well, I'll settle for inert. Um, I loved that. But So there's, there's still some of them moving. And then Fayez also realizes that there is like an intense heat building under three islands on the other side of the planet. Right. And it makes you wonder, like, is it part of what Murtry did or Murtry? Is it part of what the investigator did or is it part of what Holden did in blowing up 
the machine because we've seen yeah. that protomolecule technology reacts to danger. So do we know? Will we know? I don't know. But something bad seems to be happening on the other side of the planet. Well, Till next time. Check Til- back in episode five. Yeah, just check back here. Hopefully we're all still alive. <laughs> I hope I am. But yeah, there's just a, there's a lot going on on Illus, but we're just more excited about holding punching a guy. That's all we care about. So that's it. Any closing thoughts? No. Retrograde. Holden punch a guy. Holden punch a guy. Retrograde. Oh, Holden's also in retrograde. He goes from, yeah, you know what? We should probably think about this uh, violence to, no, I'm just going to go be violent now. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Any That's- last thoughts, Shannon? No. Holden was violent now. Andrew, you want to close us out? Of course. So this about wraps it up for uh, the Type Beam episode 32, Retrograde, looking at the uh, season, no, episode for The Expanse. <laughs> um, if you want to continue talking about The Expanse, get more news, interact with us, you can find us online. You can email us at typebeam at randomchatter.com. Um, you can also find us on Twitter at the type beam. Um, you can also find at random chatter, who is the host of the type beam show. You can also find Fred, Shannon, and myself on Twitter. Fred, where can they find you? You can find me at Freddy Juan Kenobi. That's F R E D D Y W O N Kenobi. Or you can find me in discord. And Shannon, where can they find you? You can find me pretty much anywhere at shank and you can also find me on Twitter or in Discord at um, Cats Bears. That's K A T Z B A R Z. You can also find Random Chatter on Instagram, and you can also find many of our different shows on randomchatter.com. We have some shows about DC, Marvel, different kinds of movies, Star Wars. So maybe there will be something else that you are interested in other than the type beam. Heck yeah. And speaking of the type beam, you can help us spread the word about the type beam. We would love it if you would leave us reviews on your platform of choice. Uh, if you don't feel comfortable writing a review or you don't really know how to put it into words, you could also leave us like a rating, which is, you know, when you just you know, rate it out of X stars or X whatever. Um, that kind of still I'm gives us. I'm glad that you have to like define that <laughs> i feel like sometimes people don't know the difference between review and rate um, that's true so it's kind of nice. i you know i want to clarify because uh, you can just if you don't want to leave us a review on itunes you could literally just go in there click how many stars you think we deserve and leave it at that like we'd still appreciate that that'd be cool um we you know any kind of feedback you can give us is appreciated so obviously we'd we'd love actual reviews but, you know, seeing ratings still helps and it kind of boosts our noticeability as well. Um, you can also share the show on social, social media. Um, we post it uh, on Reddit and on Twitter. Uh, so if you could like retweet us, upvote us, what have you. You can also review episodes and respond to episodes on those platforms, as Andrea noted. So that's another good way to give us your feedback. Um, 
You can also tell your friends about us. You got friends who like The Expanse? Of course you do. Tell them about us. Do they like podcasts? We like podcasts. Tell them about our podcast. That's the best way to gain more ears for our weird little show. Um, so please, like, tell people about us. It's the People trust you. They trust you, listener. And if you want to join our community, you can head on over to randomchatter.com slash discord. We've mentioned it before. Um, this is a place where you can interact with us directly and lots of other fans of The Expanse. And not just The Expanse, but any of the other shows that we also have. Um, just head on over to randomchatter.com slash discord. If you do want to become a member of the Random Chatter Network, you can go to randomchatter.com slash Patreon. And for $1 a month, you can open up a lot more of the channels that are in Discord. Uh, for, yeah, just a dollar a month, you can get access to absolutely everything that we have, which is fantastic. If you want to support us in other ways, such as buying a t-shirt or coffee mug or something with with our logo on it, you can go to randomchatter.com slash store, and there's lots of options there for you. Uh, last but not least, the music that you hear in this episode is Ursa Minor by Cell Dweller, and as silly as this sentence sounds, all trademarks are owned by the respective owners. <laughs> <laughs>